Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. Jesus has been asked why he and his disciples don't fast the way that John the Baptist disciples do. Jesus tells them, look, I'm the groom and I'm with them. Let them eat and drink for now. The time is coming when I'll be taken away from them, referring to the cross and, and the ascension. And he said, they'll fast then. These Pharisees were hung up on Old Testament ritual and something's coming that's going to blow their minds and they're not going to like it. They enjoyed the legalism. They enjoyed it. They liked having a prescribed set of customs to adhere to. They liked it so much that they made up their own and they added on more. In fact, Jesus would confront them in the Gospel of Matthew for nullifying the word of God for the sake of their traditions. Okay, th this is this is a tradition in the church, and then like this is the word of God. Like there's no comparison. The word of God should trump all of our traditions, all of our preferences. I know that this might sound uh, perhaps ironically shocking to someone from a more liturgical background, somebody from uh, a church that is very traditional, um, and you might look at our scrappy little church plant, our little Protestant church plant, and think like the nerve of this guy to dismiss the whole tradition of the church. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I do nullify tradition for the sake of the word of God. I'm drawing from a liturgy that is several centuries older than yours, comes straight from the word of God. We Protestants may not have as much of a church history as, as the Catholic Church does, and we may not you know, be as, as old as some other institutions, but we are bypassing the word of the dude and drawing straight from the word of God, sola scriptura. So my, my liturgy is actually thousands of years old. It's much more ancient than the weird Pope hat that some guy made up, <laughs> okay? This, this is a new covenant. And this new covenant did away with legalistic rituals. And those rituals in themselves did nothing in the first place to absolve someone of sin. All that they did was they pointed forward to Christ. They were a mere glimpse and a shadow of the things to come. The substance of those promises is Christ. See Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. We can get hung up on ritual and tradition and preference, and this is incompatible with the gospel. It's wholly incompatible with the new covenant. Look at Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. That's one parable. Here's the second. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, because he says the old is better. 
So we have a couple of illustrations here. One of them is a patch on a garment. If you've got one garment that is older and you put on a patch of brand new material, you damage both. And here we have wineskins. The process of fermentation would cause the wine to expand. And so if you put new wine into a wineskin that had already stretched out, it would burst. You needed to put fresh wine into a fresh wineskin, possibly like, you know, uh, an animal bladder, for example. And then it would expand with the new wine as the wine ferments. This is speaking to the incompatibility of the new covenant with the practices of the old. And when Jesus says in the final verse, um, no one after uh, drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. This is a trap that even Peter himself would fall into. It was a, it was a, it was a tough deal to live as a Jewish person at the turn of the covenant, to have lived your whole entire life adhering to Mosaic law only to learn that the law is fulfilled in Christ. You maybe prided yourself on your ability to rigorously adhere to dietary restrictions, for example. And now all of a sudden, all of that is fulfilled in Christ. You know, it, 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 was, it was probably, it, it probably felt in small, petty ways like a raw deal, especially if you were a Jew who secretly liked shellfish. <laughs> because the Gentiles had been eating crab your whole life and it looked and smelled so good and and you were curious about it or maybe you secretly would go have some but you had to like cover your tracks when you did and now all of a sudden like we can have crab and shrimp uh, right here after church like now those people who have been eating shellfish their whole lives they're on equal standing with god as me don't i get any grandfathered in credit from the old covenant in my my abstinence from shellfish, my sort of abstinence from shellfish, you know, or, or what about, uh, you know, what about all the, all the rituals and all the, the fasting and the hand-washing stuff that we kind of made up to supplement it? Don't I get any credit for all this stuff that I've done? And the answer is no. Your asceticism that was not prescribed by God has done you no good. See the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just meaningless. It's all meaningless. There are monks who will deny themselves severely because they think that it makes them more righteous. It's actually meaningless. It's actually totally meaningless. Now, Peter struggled with this. At one point, he would go back into his old habit, post-resurrection of Jesus and ascension and outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the, the ushering in of the church age, to go and only eat with ceremonially clean Jews. Now, Paul would confront him to his face about this. See the book of Galatians. There were people who immediately started trying to put the new wine into old wineskins, okay, trying to keep the traditions of the old covenant around while the new covenant presides. For example, the Judaizers would, would crop up in Luke's next letter to Theophilus, uh, the book of Acts, and in chapter 15, there's a big confrontation they really liked the gospel, that sounds good, but then they immediately wanted to add on their own legalisms to it. They're like, yeah, the way that you're saved is by confession of Jesus as Lord, and then also by being circumcised as an adult. No, no. See, when you put a new 
patch on an old garment, you destroy both. And when you put new wine into old wineskins, the wineskins burst. These people had tasted the new wine, but they wanted the old. They thought the old was better. The book of Hebrews says that this new covenant is better by far. The Judaizers wanted to bring back the tradition of circumcision and impose it upon the Gentiles perhaps even using it as a means to cause them to be averse to the gospel so that they wouldn't come in. This was a huge issue. Paul was furious with them. It, it prompted the book of Galatians. It prompted a conflict. Peter would go, would go head to head with these guys in Acts chapter 15. You're, you, you and your forefathers, you're always imposing upon us uh, a burden that we were never meant to bear. It's fatuous to tell people, yes, in order to be saved, you have to confess Jesus as Lord, and then you have to be circumcised. That was never prescribed by God. Circumcision was the mark of the old covenant. Baptism is the mark of the new covenant. And so this tendency to go back to the old ways, to try to put, to try to take the old wine and put it, uh, uh, take this new wine and put it into an old wineskin, an old vessel, an old framework, the old covenant with its old rituals and traditions that were all meant to foreshadow Christ and now Christ has come. It would never work. It would never work. The two are wholly incompatible. The old covenant provides the pedestal upon which the cross stands. It is the predecessor to the new covenant. Now, does this mean that we wholesale just dismiss the Old, the old Testament? Absolutely not. That's most of what I preach for crying out loud. All right, one famous speaker said that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Covenant. But Jesus is clear in Matthew chapter 5. Not one stroke of the pen, not one letter of the law will disappear. That mindset is called antinomianism as if you are against the law of God. No, we need the law of God. By the Old Testament law, we know when we've sinned. It's not that God has abolished the law, but he has fulfilled it. So this tendency to try to take this new covenant wine and put it into an old covenant tradition and practice was futile. And inevitably, there would be those people who just liked it better the old way. Did you know that oftentimes, People who thrive in the academic context will fail when they are in a professional context that requires, you know, innovation and improvisation. Most CEOs didn't have all that great of a GPA when they went through school. It's because when you thrive in the academic context, it's because you're really, really good at someone giving you a syllabus. And it's basically just the instructions on how to succeed. It's spelling out everything that you can anticipate, complete with dates. You will face this test on this date, and it will have this information in it from these chapters and these concepts. And then you're expected to have this paper that is this many pages long, this spacing, and Times New Roman 12-point font, complete with a bibliography and Turabian-style footnotes throughout. And, and everything is spelled out for you literally on a syllabus. But that's not how the business world works. There is no syllabus. There are no syllabi for business models. You don't know on what date you're going to be tested in what way. And people long for the days of academia. They want to go back to that sterile laboratory where everything is not only predictable, but predicted and foretold. And then they just do what's expected of them. 
do this task. I did it. Do this task. I did it. Do this task. I did it. And meanwhile, those future CEOs are not really in the top 10% of the class because they're flaking out. They're sitting in the back of the room, you know, pencil to their cheek, and they're envisioning some new kind of electric car that's actually cool and not lame. <laughs> you know, they don't thrive as well in that environment because it's very constrictive. They thrive better in an environment where they have free reign and they can improvise, they can follow instincts, and they can do things that are outside of the box. These Pharisees were kind of like the studious little top 10 percenters, the, the little uh, valedictorian candidates, because they loved having a list of expectations and then thriving and getting perfect A, 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 just perfect A's on everything that was ever assigned to them. And now everything's different. They're uncomfortable with it. Jesus, uh, uh, Peter in, in Joppa is shown this vision of all of these animals on this sheet. And this is all the stuff that's on the menu now. And it's raised and lowered three times because our boy Peter had to learn thing and things in threes. He was a little bit hard-headed, kind of like me. And he initially tells God, in my favorite verse of the Bible, Acts 10, 13, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And then Peter says, I won't do that because it's unclean. And then God rebukes him. Don't call common that which God has made clean. He was confronting Peter on this very issue, something that Peter would stumble into again later on, trying to put new wine into old wineskins. Maybe I can have it both ways. Maybe I can hang out with my Gentile friends and also still eat with uh, the ceremonially clean Jews because they are pretty elite. I want them to like me. I want, them to, I want to be associated with their kind of rigor and self-discipline. That seems nice. But God was confronting him on this matter, and he would show Peter, he would prove to Peter multiple times, the Holy Spirit has poured out upon Gentiles just as he has upon Jews in Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, and then later in Acts chapter 10. People have this tendency to want to go back to the old traditions, and in this case, in this teaching, they wanted to go back to the Old Testament's traditions and rituals and requirements. But God has made everything new. So we do not unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We need the law of God. Not one letter of it will disappear, and by the law of God, we become conscious of sin. But we are in a new era now. See to it that we don't reinvent the same pitfalls, becoming legalistic and nullifying the word of God for the sake of tradition. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling everything. Every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus. He is the perfect fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophesied.